This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. You're listening to our current Sunday morning series, Who Are We? Take your Bible, if you will, and find the book of Titus. We're going to start in Titus, and then we're going to make our way through New Testament passages, but I will provide that scripture as we go through there. Again, I do apologize for my voice, so I can either just continue at my normal pace or talk real slow and be here till about three. We've been in a series about who are we? I think it's a question that each one of us need to be able to answer. Who are we? Foundationally, we have to understand who we are in regards to our relationship with Christ. Do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have I received the forgiveness of my sin and I entered into a relationship with him as my Savior and also my Lord? And that I love him and that I love the things that he loves and I love his church And I live my life as I strive to make disciples of him in the world in which he has placed me. Who are we? A Christian. We've also looked in where we are now. Who are we as a church? For several weeks, we looked at the first aspect of that. And you could almost look at it like a tree or I've heard people talk about... uh, a building, let's look at it like a tree. Uh, We're in a citrus land. You visualize a tree. We ask ourselves as believers, who are we? The roots are our faith, what it is that we believe, truth, that which is providing us our being, our roots. And so we looked at for several weeks the the truths that drive us as a church and in particularly a Baptist church. Not the only church, but we looked at a Baptist church. For those that have been part of that, you may remember some of the things that we, we looked at. The understanding of the Bible is the word of God what it means to follow through with believers' baptism after a conversion, that we are baptized because of what he have done. We're not baptized to become something. We're baptized by immersion after we make a profession of faith, which is historically one of the driving foundational points of being Baptist anyway. We looked at the priesthood of believers, the idea of soul competency, the idea that we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ individually and that individually we are responsible for our relationship with Christ. That's who we are. We looked at the salvation by grace through faith. We looked at the perseverance of the saints. We began to understand the idea of the local autonomy of the church and what it means to cooperate for the endeavor of missions. Those are our roots. That's who we are. Those are our beliefs, our passions, what drives us. It's what we're about. As we began Titus last week, we began to to look at who we are in a second context. We are people. We're individuals that have come together under the name of Jesus Christ to do something together that we could never do alone. Yes, individually we are the church, but as we come together, we are a New Testament local church. Church is important. Church does matter. It's not about Lone Ranger Christians doing what we want to do on our own. We are the body of Christ's. 
I guess you could say it's like the, the trunk that comes forth from the roots and that grows. We're people. Individually, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Individually, are you part of a local church doing something together you could never do alone? Are you serving Christ and are you committed through a local congregation and a body? Who are we? We are people. Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Titus 1, verse 5. Paul writing to Titus as he was leading the churches of Crete. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but he must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day, this hour, this time that we have set apart in our life to sing, to learn, to fellowship, and to worship as we sit up under your word. We thank you for the church this morning, Christ. We thank you for being the great shepherd and appointing those to lead your church as we seek to do your will. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. This week, I'm going to look at the first part of those verses. and Next week, the second part. This is what I want us to consider this week. We have a great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Christ himself has also said that it is very important that we have our church in order and that we also have a shepherd that as he follows Christ, he leads the church. As we look at these verses, there are four thoughts that I wrote down this week in regards to being a shepherd or a pastor and an elder. First, from the very beginning, God had an expectation of order, direction, and purpose for the church. He's writing to Titus and saying, listen, there are churches in this area and there needs to be some order and structure and purpose. There needs to be things in order. And as we begin to think about that, we need to remember why those things need to be in place. Look at you, Will, at... Thank you, brother. As we look at those things, look at verse 1. Why is it that we do anything that we do? Look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Last week we looked at that. Do you know who the elect are? The whosoever. We do everything we do as a church so that people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do everything that we do as a church 
so that when people receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they will grow in their relationship with Christ. When we enter into this building, even from a practical standpoint, and we walk through those doors in the back and in the side, literally it ceases to be about us and immediately becomes to be about other people. Now, from that point alone, could you imagine how different church would be if that's the way we entered this church building? In a typical church, not ours, we enter in. It's too cold in here. I have told them a hundred times that I am cold. Somebody is in my spot. Somebody did something. Now, I consider myself a pretty friendly dude. People don't realize what's going through the mind of a preacher on Sunday mornings, but I consider myself to be a pretty friendly dude. I got this phone call one Monday morning to the secretary. Not to me. I am leaving that church. I walked up to the pastor to shake his hand. He looked me in the eyes and turned around and talked to somebody else. What do you think happened? Can you visualize that? Me standing there, here comes Joy. I'm talking to Joy. I'm about to say something to Joy, and here comes somebody because it's too cold in here. Pastor, what? Now, I'm not being funny, but I am. Can you imagine that lady, it was a lady, standing before Jesus and saying, I left that church because John Beck did not look me in the eyes and shake my hand. And Jesus is going to say, really? Everything we do should be for the sake of the church. Everything. That is why it is so important from the very beginning that God expects a sense of order, direction, and purpose of the church. Because you know how long it would take all of us to get off purpose and focus with all the hectic stuff we have going on in our life? About that long. Second, it is crucial as you look at in verse 5, that we remain on task. This is why I left you so that you might put what remained into order. The gospel, the church, the spread of the New Testament church, young believers in their communities trying to make a difference, and that Paul understood through the inspiration of God that if we don't do something and focus on what we need to be doing, we've got to do what we need to do to establish a church so that we remain on task. Number three, God uses biblical leadership to keep his church on mission. Number four, therefore, our leadership is very important. If the church is that important, then the leadership is that important. If the mission is that crucial, the leadership is that crucial. I want to take the remaining of our time and I want us to look at six things that must be evident in the leadership of the church. As you read the New Testament, there are three words that are portrayed and described and, and laid out for a leader of the church. Those three words, and we'll look at them in, in complete context a little bit later, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when we get there. 
elder, overseer, and bishop, and then the word pastor. Now, what they are in the Greek doesn't matter. I could dazzle you with what those are in the Greek, but I don't speak Greek. You don't either. So just remember elder, overseer, bishop, and pastor. Those three words are throughout the New Testament, and they point toward the same thing. The one the Lord is asking to guide and to lead his church. In Baptist culture, it is the one that the congregation, as a Southern Baptist church, it is the one that the congregation says, lead us and guide us as our shepherd, as we follow the great shepherd. The word elder, and you understand it in the Greek there, in the word context, the word elder comes from the idea that that person is one of of wisdom and maturity. It hints toward age, but the description is that someone that is leading has the ability to lead, the wisdom to lead, the the maturity to lead. Age is involved, but more than anything, it deals with the character of that person and who he is. The second word that you see that describes this essence of leadership is overseer and bishop. It points more toward his function to to oversee and to manage. Now, I love the definition of that, to oversee and to manage. So a pastor's responsibility is to oversee, and I love this, manage. Why manage? It's not his. It's somebody else's. You could also say the pastor's kind of in middle management. The church is his. And I'm managing what is his. But I've never asked to be called an elder because then I'd have to ask, ask too grown up all the time. Bishop Beck has a nice ring to it. Overseer Beck would be a little weird. That's what Sharon calls me around the house. But but the third word is my favorite of them all. Pastor. Elder is his character and overseer and bishop is the function. But to me, the pastor is his work. He's a shepherd. So when you think of that context of shepherd, I don't normally think of me when I think of a shepherd. You know who I think about? The great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so we think about the work of uh, this elder, this, this person that the Lord is saying to the church in Crete, these people need to be in place if the church is going to be in church. This This person needs to be in place fulfilling what he's been called to do if the church is going to be the church. And you therefore begin to understand why church leadership is so crucial and important. It does start with Jesus Christ. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at this. It it flows through your pastors. It flows through your deacons. It flows through your Sunday school teachers. It flows through your committee people. It flows through every aspect of our church. If we're asking someone to be a a leader in a ministry, then we're asking that person to understand what does it mean to lead his church. It means a lot to lead his church. And with great privilege, there's great responsibility. Turn in your Bible, if you will, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. These seven descriptions of a shepherd, I think, are crucial. But it's not only the characteristics of the shepherd, but of the church. For those that would have been sitting here a little earlier, I don't know if you noticed, a a gentleman came up to me in a suit. I knew he was a preacher the minute he walked in the door. You can always tell a preacher when I'm in a suit. And he came walking up to me and he said, I came by your office this past week 
and it was late in the day, and I knew you were gone, but I left a note with your, your, your lady that works in the church, and I just want to come and tell you personally, you tell your church, and you tell your choirs, I'm telling you. You pick a Tuesday or a Thursday, and you come to our church. You bring your choir. You bring whatever you do. It is your service in your, in your people, your sermon, your church, in our building, in Avon Park. We're not divided in this community. We're an African-American church, and we want you to come and lead our church. You pick a Tuesday. You pick a Thursday. Well, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to do this. And we are going to worship the Lord. I'm going to tell you this. African-American culture worships a little different. You're going to understand when we worship and you, they spur me on as their preacher that day, I expect that to come when I get back. <laughs> You're going to say, I've never heard him preach like that before. Y'all had not never been spurring me on like that before. That blessed me this morning. Brother, we love you, and I know you love us, and we're not letting the TV and the media depict how we feel about one another here in Avon Park. You pick a Tuesday. You pick a Thursday. We're going to do church. You bring your church to our church. You plan it. We do in church. Amen. We're going to do a deacon special, a deacon's wife special. We're going to sing and preach, and we're going to have church. For three hours, we're going to have church on a Thursday night. You know why? Because we're people that love one another. That word love means a lot of things, but I'll say this, and I almost feel like I'm preaching to myself. Can I say that? It would have been a lot easier to move on from this sermon today and kind of tackle the qualifications, but I think I needed to hear this this week, and I hope you need to hear it this week. If you're ever going to lead anything and you don't ask and you, and you don't have been thinking about it, that you don't love what you've been asked to lead, don't lead it. Ministry is hard and it is tough. And I've never had anybody that took a job at the church that did not tell me this about a week into it. I didn't know it was going to be like this. I thought when I took a job at the church office, I'd come in every morning at 8 o'clock and we'd just have angel music playing in the speakers and we'd just have devotions all day and we'd just sit around and pray. Mm -mm. Ministry around the church is tough. I don't know the numbers of it, but you could probably Google it, the number of, of men and women that enter into our colleges for ministry preparation and seminaries that are no longer doing that ministry. The number of pastors that enter into a local church for the first time and are eaten alive and no longer serving in ministry. It is tough. I think some of that is on the church. I think some of that is on the pastors. But in both instances, I think we have to understand the word love. John chapter 10, a good shepherd's going to love. Pastors say, and it made me think of that as I was just sharing that. I would like ministry if it wasn't for people. If I could just prepare a sermon and preach a sermon and do Bible study and that's all I had to do, I'd be happy. And you know me, I don't pull punches very often. I told somebody one time, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard somebody say. Ministry is people. Imagine Jesus Christ saying, well, if I just could be the son of God and not have to fool with you. Ministry is people. Being part of a church is people. I've had pastors say, I just wish I didn't have to be around people. I wish I could just 
teach and not do this. I've had church people say, I wish I could just come and and sit down and, and sing a song and listen to a sermon and go home. That's not Christianity. That's not ministry. That's not church. Jesus, John chapter 10. I'm going to drop down to verse 7. Jesus again said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Look at verse 10. The thief comes on to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Leadership is about loving your calling, loving your people, loving your community. I've had pastors say, if they could just get to that perfect place. I've had lay people tell me, if I could just get to that perfect place. There is no perfect place. And God's never going to bless us until we get to the point that we love where he has us. So if you're not where you're supposed to be and you're out of God's will, then get where you're supposed to be. But just get somewhere and love the people. A shepherd loves his sheep and he loves being a shepherd. Hebrews chapter 13. One of the great privileges that we have as pastors is what he's asking us to do. A shepherd, a pastor, will feed his sheep. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders for those who spoke to you. Notice what they speak. The word of God. True story, I've shared it before. I was in a deacon's meeting that wasn't going well. You ever been in one of those? I've only been in a couple. They both ended well. They didn't start well. And one of the deacons leaned over to the other deacons and said this. I don't like what he's telling us to do and I don't agree with it. But it is in the Bible. And I think when he said it out loud and he heard himself say it, he thought, what am I doing? I don't like what he's leading us to do. I don't like what he's asking us to do but it is in the Bible. The great measuring rod of teaching is the Word of God. Could you imagine if we didn't have the Bible and you were dependent upon what I was telling you to be right? It'd be like a presidential debate. I mean, I'd have to go out there and get the swing pews to get elected. You ever notice why, how, why I never shut the Word of God? I may have some notes sitting around. I may read something else. I may mention something else. But you ever notice that I never shut the Bible? When, do, when does the pastor shut the Bible? When he's done. I have nothing else to say. I'm done. We need food. And that food is found right here. 
Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, we're not saying that pastors are perfect and we're not saying that anything that we do in church is perfect, but notice what Christ is saying. Notice what the word is saying. Remember your leaders that are in the word and the importance of the word in scripture. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Isn't that a great word? Don't we just love the word submit? I mean, just, yes, we naturally love submitting children to our parents. The Bible talks about a a wife submitting to a husband. Wives, don't we just love that? Yes. I love submitting to my boss. I love being in the military. I remember being in boot camp and pulled up on Paris Island and a drill instructor came in and started screaming. I went, yes, I love submission. And every morning we get up and we bang on the foot lockers and get dressed and I would just run out and go, I love this. This is great. You know what it means? To just get where you're supposed to be. Wife, be a wife. Child, be a child. Pastor, be a pastor. Church, be the church. Church member, be a church member. Submit to the teaching of the word of God. Because if the pastor's teaching the word, whose word is it? If the pastor's not teaching the word, he's asking you to submit to him. We don't have to do that. Submit to the word. Now think about this. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your, what's that word right there? Souls. As a church member, how we submit to the preaching of the word of God has a direct reflection on our soul. I'm going to let you know a little secret. What goes to be in the presence of the Lord immediately when we die? Our soul. Children say, I'm going to ask Jesus into my life. What are we doing? Our soul, our heart, who we are. It's kind of funny when my heart got right, my love for preaching got right. I'm glad we're not a 12 o'clock church around here, aren't you? That's why we don't put an end time. We just say when we start. Physically, the older I get, the harder it is. I understand. Submit to the word as those who will have to give an account. Each and every one of us are going to stand before the Lord and give an account to how we submitted to the preaching and the teaching of the word as we lived this side of heaven. Every one of us. Let them do this with joy and not groaning. For what would be of no advantage to you? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I will give an account. You will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning. How much time could we spend on that and we think about local church? We have an audience here that visits throughout the year and I'm grateful we've missed you, our our northern guest. I want to encourage you with something, northern guest. Your pastor back home, when he thinks of you as you walk into his facility, does he have joy or does he groan?
when your pastor gets a phone call and says, hey, it's so-and-so, is he full of joy or does he groan? That's something to think about, isn't it? I had a deacon tell me one time who was a friend, not here, who was a friend. This is his words, and he meant this. He was a friend, but he meant this. It's my job to keep you humble. I was too young to say it, but I would say it now. No, it's not. That is an arrogant statement when you tell a young preacher who's doing a good job, I'll never tell you you're doing a good job because it's my job to keep you humble. When they run up to the face of Christ one day, that'll be something to be proud of. I kept the men you placed over me humble. When that man would call the church And the secretary or whoever would say, so-and-so on line one, I was groaning. You know, there are a lot of ways you could serve a pastor, but it really boils down to two things. Do we give them joy or do we give them grief? Do we love him and support him? Or do we just hang around to keep them humble and agitate them? I think there are a lot of pastors in our world today that need to find another job. But I also think there are a lot of people in churches that need to find another opportunity to do something on Sunday morning. A pastor loves, a pastor feeds. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Real quickly, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Pastor the flock. See that first word, elder, verse 1, verse 2, shepherd the flock, the word for pastor. Exercising oversight, the word for overseer, bishop. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherds appear, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, a good shepherd will love his sheep. He'll feed his sheep. But here in 1 Peter 5, we see three things. (coughs) He will lead, he will guide, and he will protect. Leadership's a tough word. The moment... A pastor gets voted in in a Baptist church. He becomes their senior pastor. The title alone entails leadership. But leadership is determined by fellowship. If you're leading something and you're leading from the front, and you turn around and nobody's behind you, you're just taking a walk. Alabama's a pretty good football team, isn't it? You know what makes Alabama a good football team? The equipment manager. You believe that? What makes Alabama a good football team, it's from Alabama. We know that's not true. I'm from Georgia. Nothing good comes out of Alabama. What makes Alabama good is the color of their uniforms. You tell me what makes Alabama good. Nick Saban makes Alabama good. 
pastor should lead, but in a way that people follow. A pastor should lead the church to stay on task. A pastor leads, but he also guides. Now, I like the word guide. Here's a good example. I take the senior adults off every fall that I can. I'm their leader. But sometimes it takes a little bit more from just leading from the front. You kind of have to come around and, okay, here we go. Come on. Come on. Here we go. All right, we, we just went to the bathroom, though. I know. Okay, we've been at Cracker Barrel four hours. It's time to get back on the van. Okay, we got all that. We don't need any more stuff. Okay. You have to guide people. It's easy to lead. Follow me. It's a lot harder to guide. Guiding's not fun. You have to prod and poke, nudge a little bit. So I think we're all kind of theologically and spiritually and ministerially ADD. Come on now. It's about the Great Commission. It's about the Lord's work. It's about all these activities we got going on in your home. It's not about activities in your home. It's about a godly home. It's not about, it's just guiding and prodding and poking. You're loving, you're feeding, you're leading, but you're guiding. I don't know who came up with it, but being a Baptist preacher is like herding cats, just... The shepherd protects the flock. I heard a pastor say one time, he said, listen, I know my church has got issues because I got issues. But he said this, but they're my church. It's like you can talk about my, I can talk about my family, but you can't. Somebody asked me one time in in a negative way, You never let anybody in that pulpit like it's yours. You know what I told them? You're very observant. You know why? Because a shepherd protects the church. Do you know the number one place that Satan gets his foot in the door of a local church? Right here. Satan kind of comes in and it's an angel of light and kind of, you know, one of the things a shepherd has to do is to keep an eye on the flock and things. Somebody said, well, go back to that pulpit comment twice. Guest speaker in the pulpit. Got off track. That's a weird place to be when the speaker gets off track and he's standing in the pulpit and you're sitting in the congregation. What we do in here is of utmost importance. In my ministry, I've only had to ask five people to leave a church probably where you have to say, this isn't working. And you think, Pastor, you've told somebody to leave your church? Two teenagers and three adults. Why in the world would you do that? Because it would damage the sheep. What we do as a church is of utmost importance and it's worth protecting. Your soul, my soul, and the importance of the word. A good shepherd will give his life for the sheep. And there have been decisions that I have had to make that churches would never realize I've had to make. In a sense, I'm giving my my reputation or 
my standing. Let me do that. I may be giving my standing in church circles because I won't do something. But I won't do something for your souls or your children's souls and the soul of this church. And then last, it's kind of a bookend. He loves. He feeds, he leads, he guides and protects. He loves as one end. and The second end, he serves and he cares. I love doing this. I like teaching, I like preaching, I like studying, I like engaging in thought. This is a small amount of what a shepherd is. A shepherd, a leader, he serves and he cares for his sheep. John chapter 13. I do not have time to go into it, but it'd be a great study one night or one night, maybe a Wednesday night. Foot washing. Foot washing wasn't something everybody did. It was a very humbling, very menial task that was done by servants as people entered into a home. Plumbing wasn't a good thing in the Middle East in these days. Sewage and filth would have been on the streets and you would have been barefooted. And so you would come into a house and someone would, would, you know, wash your feet. Thinking about Veterans Day. It would be like the general cleaning the head. Generals don't do that. No, they don't. We have a picture here of utmost importance. John chapter 13, verse 12. When he had washed their feet and he put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher, Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. A shepherd is going to love and he's going to serve and care for the sheep. I've always struggled with titles. Reverend, I I still think Bishop Beck has a ring to it. And years ago, I wanted to just be John. And I remember my first pastor, I want to be so relevant and so connecting. I was like, I'm just going to be John. And this lady said, but you're not John. You're our pastor. And I remember sitting there looking at her and she said, you see those young children there in this church? They need to know there's a shepherd leading them. She said, I don't care what I call you, but I'm not calling you John. Reverend's too highfalutin for me. So I remember telling her at Wausau Baptist Church, how does pastor sound? She said, Pastor John it is. That's my favorite title for a pastor over reverend and bishop and elder because I think it reminds me of what God's called me to do, to wash feet and to serve and to care. I found out when it comes to leadership, if people know you love them, and you care for them, they'll listen to you when you preach the word and those hard texts. I've seen that when people know that you love them and you serve for them and you care for them, they don't mind when you get on to them for spending too long in Cracker Barrel. When people know you really care for them, They don't mind that you're being their pastor. It's really a a great way to pray for me as your pastor. 
that I will love and that I will lead and guide and protect, that I will feed and serve and care. But it's also a great way to pray for our church and all of our leaders. And it trickles down through all of our ministries. Do we love? Are we feeding each other the word? Do I lead? Do I guide? Do I protect? Do I serve and do I care? This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we are grateful that you love your church enough to align us in such a way that you have put us in order. I'm grateful, Christ, that you are the great shepherd. I am humbled that you have asked me to be the shepherd of your flock and to manage what is yours. I am grateful, Lord, for our staff and our leaders. And Lord, admittingly, we are not where we need to be. But I pray that every day we are striving to be there, knowing that we'll never arrive, but that we're loving the journey. As we sing about our relationship with you, Lord, and our trust in you, I pray that as we as a church can love those that you have placed to lead us, that we would serve one another and care for one another, and that we would not just be a people concerned about me or my particular group within this church, but that we would love and serve and care for the body. And then, Lord, I pray that we would take that message to a hopeless, helpless, divided world that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we would love them and serve them and that we would care for them. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.